Welcome to the Mindset for Runners podcast, helping you to access and unlock your true potential as an athlete. Hey, it's Rob here. Welcome to this very special episode where I switch seats and get somebody to interview me. I'm going to introduce that somebody to you very shortly. But I want to tell you why I'm doing this. Um, in December 2022, it was five weeks ago, I ran the Costa Kosciuszko 240-kilometer ultramarathon for the sixth time. For those of you who don't know, Costa Kosciuszko, as I said, is 240 kilometers. It's a point-to-point race in Australia. It starts on the beach at Eden, which is the far south coast of New South Wales, and competitors run to the top of Australia, the highest point, Mount Kosciuszko, before we return to the finish line, nine kilometres down the hill at Charlotte Pass. It's a very famous Australian race and one which uh, the top runners in Australia will go to some point in their career uh, and really try and shake out a good a good race. So I first ran this race in 2010 and to be honest, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with what Paul Every and Diane Weaver had had created as race directors, the the culture of the amazing competitors, the crews that just wrap up all of the the, the runners and support them to the top of Australia, and just that beautiful environment. I felt like I'd found my people, uh, my my home, and the people that I wanted to hang out with and and be like. So I ran it as I said, uh, it's my sixth time I've run it, and. Since I ran it the first time in 2010, it became a dream of mine to win this race. Um, you know, you have those dreams that just that just keep you going when you're training, you visualize winning, or you're imagining the time when it all comes together, and and it it keeps you going, right? Those dreams or those those big goals, those audacious dreams. And um, for me, the reason why it was a big dream was that this race just encompassed everything. That I love about ultra running, the the the, the brutal <laughs> thing about running two hundred and forty kilometers, running from the beach to the top of Australia, starting in the sand and finishing in the snow, um, day and night, having to get so many things right: your training, your nutrition, your hydration, your crewing, your gear. So much stuff you have to get right for this to come together. Let alone the most important thing that I've learned, which is your mindset. So this year, my dream came true and I won Costa Cozzi uh, and I realized that dream which I'd had for coming up to 13 years. And I really wanted to capture what I did to to come away with a first place finish in this podcast so that you can learn it and start to apply what I did in your own running and really get that potential out of you that I'm sure you're really wanting to get. So the best way that I thought to do this was to ask my friend, Bex Vandenberg, uh, to interview me as a, a guest on my own podcast. So Bex is a former British military officer. She served in the British Army Engineer Corps, and she de- was de- on deployment to Falkland Islands and South Sudan during her career. She was also a former instructor at Sandhurst Officer Training Corps in, in um, the UK. Uh, Bex is an exceptional athlete in her own. She represented the British Army in track and field, netball, and the bobsleigh. Such a wide range of um, um, athletic endeavours that Bex really excelled in. She's also a black belt and an instructor in taekwondo. And 
she's a weapon, <laughs> if I could just say that. Um, Bex now lives in Australia and she works as a consultant for KPMG. She's also a personal performance coach and that's really um, one of her strengths, developing strengths, and, and she helped me so much um, on my journey to Costa Cozzi this year. She was a part of my support crew, but she was also a pacer. She paced me up the very, very steep uh, Balocca range around about, uh, must have been about 10 or 11 p.m. on, on the Friday night. Um, and if you wanted to watch the movie that I'll share in the show notes, you'll see Bex doing commentary uh, on the live videos that we did, and you really get a, a sense of who she is her passion for life, her engagement, and why she was such a pinnacle part of this win. Um, She helped me really, both in my lead up to the race, but also during the race, um, just in the way she, you pick up Bex's energy and how much she gives and how plugged in and engaged she is. She's just an exceptional human being and and a fantastic coach. Um, So I benefited from her skills, like I said, in the race and in the lead up to the race. And she was the perfect person really to interview me uh, for this and and really to draw out what I learned from my mindset coach uh, that really helped me get prepared for this race. So I really hope you take a lot away from this interview. Um, I really want to say thanks to Bex for taking the time out to interview me and to, to draw out the things that I probably couldn't have captured just by doing a podcast myself. So settle back. Enjoy this interview between Bex Vandenberg and myself about Costa Kosciuszko, the best race in Australia uh, that happened five weeks ago, and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, Rob. Hi, Bex. How's it going? Great. I'm so glad that you've done this with me. Thank you so much. Oh, it's genuinely an honor. Okay, so I'm going to go straight into it, and I have listened to some of your podcasts before. They automatically download into my app, which I love. Um, and I know a couple of things that you wanted to discuss, and the order that made sense for me was, I think might resonate with some of your listeners as well, was taking the disappointment of last year's race. And I feel like it's bad to start on a low note, but what you did, I think, in taking a really bad race outcome into the achievement that you've just done is really fantastic. So um, I'd love to hear a summary, if you don't mind, of what happened in the previous Costa Cozzi and why that was something that you really wanted to turn around, I guess, this year. Yeah, last year, so 2021 Costa Cozzi, I'd trained as well as I had for any race. Physically, I was in the best shape I think I'd ever been in. I'd done the most amount of mileage and I was as fit as I've ever been. The race conditions on the day weren't in my favor in that it was raining most of the day and cold, which is my two kind of kryptonites. Um, Somebody said that the maximum temperature was seven degrees for the race. I'm not sure if that seems very low, but it felt like that. So... Um, to taking that physical preparation and being so prepared and thinking I was going to have the best race and then early on in the race feeling like I wasn't doing really well, getting cold and by the 120k mark I was walking a lot, I was looking for breaks, I was starting to go downhill and we couldn't turn my race around so it ended up as a death march pretty much from probably from Dalgetty which is 140 40-odd K, so I still probably 100K death march. Um, and so, and there was a point where I almost DNF'd about 15Ks before Perisher. Um, we were in the car just about to call it and we decided to give it one last shot um, and I managed to, to walk to the finish, but it was ugly and, <laughs> and it was a really bad experience. So it's quite, it quite traumatic even thinking about it now 
But as they say, you can only join the dots looking back. And I think that I really took a lot out of that and I was determined to not let that be my last Coast to Cozzy. And um, I really, that really gave me a lot of rocket fuel for this year. Yeah, I appreciate that. So talk to me about the point, I guess, in your mind when you decided to change that experience. What, what really happened after warming up and getting back home and thinking about your year ahead as a runner, what made you think I'm going to change that? There's probably a conversation with Joe Ward who won it last year. I'd seen Joe really exponentially increase his results in the last probably 10 years. And when I called him, I interviewed him on this podcast, but when I called him, I said, how did you do that? What did you do differently? And he said, look, I was working with a mindset coach and she is unreal and I really think you should talk to her. And I was in because I knew that, I knew how important mindset I know how important mindset is, and I knew I was doing all I could, but there was another level that I wasn't reaching. So it was really, if I was gonna go again for Coast to Cozzy, I was gonna go all in and do everything I could possibly do to make it my best race ever. And, but talking to Claudine about preparing for Coast to Cozzy was the big thing that turned it around. Awesome. So I feel like we're going to touch on your work with Claudine again. So how about we give her a shout out and you can introduce her to your listeners who haven't heard about her before. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Beck. So Claudine, she's British. Uh, she's a mindset coach. She's a 14 time national and international karate champion. And that's 14 years pretty much back to back. She's um, now like full time mindset coach. And of all the mindset work I've done and read about and listened to over the years, there's nothing like working one on one with somebody like her um, she just personalized everything saw straight through me right from the start knew what i needed and had the ability to get me mm. to a position of you know being an, a, a, a good runner to believing and knowing that i could win the race and 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 that's the journey we went on um this year that's amazing so i've got a couple more questions for you about your preparation and training um, I thought maybe rather than getting into the detail, I might let you talk about um, at a macro level, what was the training plan going into, or I suppose going into your prep for this year's race? Training plan was high mileage. Um, so I've been running now for, so I've been doing ultras for 14 years. So I've got a really good base, a really good um, solid base level. And normally we would do a lot of speed work and hills and tempos and threshold work. Uh, this time it was all about because of a couple of injuries I was carrying, we did a whole lot of just base building, double runs, so morning and afternoon, low intensity, high mileage, just because of it. Anytime I tried anything else, the injury would flare up. So my coach, Martin Fryer, who um, put together the program based on the feedback I was giving him on my injuries. And um, in the end, it turned out to be another bonus that I didn't see at the time, but it um, really helped me with that Fair high enough. mileage. Yeah. So you said high mileage. For those of us who do 5K park run, I'm just gonna remind them, <laughs> those listeners, that this is 240 kilometer run through different terrains, different climates, um, over multiple days if you're not as quick as um, the leaders of this race. What, what were some of the top mileages you were hitting in, I guess, your double run days um, across both of those runs and maybe in a week as well so we can get an idea of just how much you were running? It's funny because I'm generally a low mileage runner. So when I talk about high mileage, it's personal high mileage for me. So, so my maximum week was 153 Ks, which is, you know, reasonable amount of kilometers. Um, 
but most I kept it over 100 Ks for about eight to nine weeks in a row. And then on the double runs you asked, doubles were quite simple. So doubles when you run in the morning and the afternoon, instead of doing a 30K run for the day, you might do 15 in the morning, 15 at night. So I would generally do 10 in the morning, 10 at night, or 20 in the morning and 10 at night and break it up like that. It also works better for the family and it works better for life. Um, so uh, compared, to, compared to other runners, I don't run 100 mile, 200K weeks, but for me, 150 was the max. With the longest run I would have done would have been 53K, so not very much. Mm. Um, again, there's a lot of different research on that, but there's not that much adaptation that happens in the mm. sixth or seventh or tenth hour of a training run that you can't get in five hours and then doing a run the next day. Mm. Yeah, it's remarkable to listen to, I guess, a 53K run being not that much, and I appreciate that's a low percentage of the race distance. But when you're describing yourself as a low mileage runner, that's quite a significant run, I suppose, planning that around family and work and different things like that. Yeah. So you mentioned injuries earlier. What kind of injuries did you have? Where in your training did they come and how did they impact how you were training? So I had a leading run in September, a street in Canberra. I was supposed to do a 100k trail race, one of the best trail races in Australia. And the week before that, I went skiing. As a just with the family, and I tried cross country skiing. And I developed plantar fasciitis from the stretching of your feet in the. And I thought I'd be fine for the race, but it flared up to a point where I decided not to race. Um, and for the so the next couple of weeks, I battled with a pain in my foot. It turned up being um, a heel spur with an edema. So I had an MRI because it was so bad. I thought I had a stress fracture. So from then on, from September until Costa Cozzi, I. Um, balanced the pain in my foot with a rehab and low intensity running. So it affected me right up to the race. Um, but uh, yeah, so I couldn't do speed work. I, normally I would do lots of 1K efforts or even 400s, 800s. Every time I tried to do even a 1K effort, the plantar fasciitis would flare up and I would have to stop because it would put me out for a couple of days. Mm. So. Uh, and then I developed a sciatica or something that started to work the other side due to the compensation on my right side. Um, I developed that as well. So, but in the end, they ended up being both positives because I kept my mileage high, my volume, my sorry, my intensity low, and that ended up being a really, really good bonus for the race. So, wow. Yeah. So we're going to talk about mindset um, yeah. in a little bit, but I'd love to hear how you had to adapt your training around those injuries, um, having I suppose. Uh, this date of the race looming and knowing that you had to work around it, what did you do differently when you were carrying those injuries? Claudine really helped me to to understand the injury, to reframe the injury and to not let it dominate thought. I think a lot of runners, a lot of athletes, it starts to become the focus of your attention and you worry about it and you try and you're worrying if it's flaring up. And, and so I, she really helped me to, to go beyond it um, to go beyond it into higher purposes for doing the race and higher reasons for training, higher reasons for going after what I want. And when, when you go into those higher purposes, um, little things like niggles tend to fade away in the background and not be as important as you make them. And, and, that, and, and Claudine taught me that's a choice. You, know, mm. you, you can choose that in your mindset but to, to not focus on those things and focus on higher purposes instead. It's a big challenge, isn't it, when you realise something is a choice? and you felt like it wasn't for so long, I think I can appreciate the first time you are realizing that about anything. 
in your life. A hundred percent. And without, like, with her reminding me, constantly reminding me, I would have fallen back to the old ways, which is, oh, I think I can feel that niggle. And then, oh, I should stop. And, oh, there goes my race. There goes my chances. But instead, to have me that, having that coach with you to say, mm. let's get on with it. You've got bigger things to do than worry about little pain in your foot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really small thing is remarkable. So I hope that really resonates with listeners as they're, as they're listening to this. So you've talked about, I guess, the mileage that you were doing and doing it in, um, sort of that lower intensity. Is there anything else you want to say about your running practice before we just touch on the support that you've had over your Costa Cozy career? No, I think let's get into the other things. Yep. Awesome. So you want to talk about the crew that you had this year, your winning year, but just to give the contrast for people, can you just quickly talk about what support looked like for you the years prior? Yeah, so mum and dad, so my first ran Costa Cozy 2010, so I've done it five times previously. And I didn't really have anybody else to crew me because it's, it's quite an intense experience. It's a long time to be driving alongside a runner. You have to stay up all day, all night, and then all day again. So my mum and dad were amazing. They crewed me for five years from the back of the land, from a Prado, and they fed me whatever I want. They gave me whatever I want. And, you know, we had some great results, including a fifth place in 2013, and they were outstanding last year they crewed me in that rain and i watched them get in and out of that car in the rain for you know whatever it was 20 not 30 hours and it just killed me to see my folks going through that so i said to them this is the last time you're ever crewing me and that's when i met jay and you guys from <laughs> from Clamber triathlon club and you absolutely just embraced me and changed changed everything that I've ever known about crewing and I'm happy to, <laughs> to go into awesome. how you that. So Jay's been interviewed on this podcast already. Yeah. She accidentally won Ultraman Australia earlier this year um, and was interviewed by Rob and Jay was your crew captain this year. Tell us about this year's crew. So this year, um, Jay said, so as I said, you said I met Jay. She arranged the crew for me. Now, when I when I said to her, I don't think anyone was going to want to come and do this. She said, "Rob, it's the opposite. I'm going to have to put a limit on how many people want to come and crew you." I didn't really believe her until we had our kind of first crew meeting, and about and she said, "Look, I've capped it at ten, I think." And I said, "What do you mean you've capped it?" She said, "Well, I've had to start saying to people, maybe you can do it next year because there's not enough room this year." So Jay had organised an on crew and an off crew, all in. Um, the rules of the race within the constraints of only having one crew at a time, but she arranged crew roles. Um, she arranged absolutely everything from a logistical perspective that was mind-blowing to the point where, Bex, you said to me, I need to completely let go of all the logistics and hand it over to Jay and the crew, which I did, and Jay took care of everything. And the crew was so on board and so invested that... I felt like I had this entourage of supporters who, who were all there to just to just do anything they could do to get me to the top. And it's an incredible feeling um, to have that many people, have anybody, even one person, to be 100% there for you day and night, like dancing alongside the road, playing music, <laughs> handing whatever we want, giving me updates from friends who are watching me, and just keeping my spirit high for so long. And then when you change the crew, so there would be crew change over to checkpoint and I'd have a whole new crew and it just seamlessly took up with the crew documents that you'd all put in about my nutrition plan was done, my hydration plan was, it was no, I, it was just seamless. And from that perspective, it's a huge advantage over the rest of the competitors who, who don't have 
you know, people cheering and dancing and, and stuff. <laughs> I think they knew it as well. You're your competitors. <laughs> I did have some guys say how jealous they were. Yeah. Oh, so I'm just going to go off track a little bit. I know that um, in your race plan, you wanted to have an easy run to the dead tree yeah. and the race was going to start for you at Jindabyne. Now, I yeah. understand, I think, oh, maybe from memory, you just worked your way from the back of the pack through to the front and actually you were probably only, you were already in second place by Jindabyne, I think, so you only had the leader to hunt down before the finish line. So I guess as you were running your easy, I'm um, inverted commas, um, couple, first over 100 kilometers, what was in your mind, and I'm asking this not only in the context of you as a runner, but you with the crew that you had for the first time, when you passed all these other athletes and the crew van following you also passed these other athletes, what was going through your mind then? Yeah, so I, we'd spoken about this as a crew that I didn't really want to know my race position until Jindabyne. I didn't really want to know anything to do with yeah position, time, checkpoints, you know, um, any of that, because ultimately it wasn't going to affect the way I raced. And I'd seen so many runners in the past get worried about, you know, I need to do this split between here and there. I have to be at this point by that. And I'd done it myself in the past. So when, when I broke down my race plan with Claudine and with Martin, there was nothing that you could have told. If you had told me, oh, you're in 10th place at Toowoomba or whatever, it wouldn't have changed the way I run. So we were very clear from the start. I don't want to know anything until Jindabyne because it doesn't worry me. And the crew completely took that on board, didn't even mention any of that. So what was in my mind was enjoying the race. My, my, one of my intentions was to arrive awesome at the big dead tree. Now that was from Joe Ward, that was his exact words, to arrive awesome. And um, that's so the big dead tree is about 100 k's. So we had a party for the first 100 k. <laughs> the crew just, we were just enjoying it, enjoying the surroundings and being as mindful as we could. And I, I don't think I, I looked at my watch a couple of times for my heart rate going up the big hills and in the heat and Apart from that, there was nothing, there was no viewing of position or time. It was all just having a good time. That's fantastic. Um, I think I'd like to acknowledge that your parents were very much still supportive of you and not only consulted the crew as they put together what they th knew was going to be the race of your life, um, but also making sure that we took all the knowledge that they had and they were also there through your race. So what did it feel like to not, have, to not only have a substantial crew with you that was almost handpicked, but also your parents and your family. Yeah, so my parents, so they they were consultants to, to Jay and you guys on the lead up. So Jay would call them and ask them what they should do. And they, they had a lot of input into what I could eat and where to change the crew car and all that kind of stuff. But then they rocked up to spectate and seeing them at Rocky Hall at 50K mark, they were completely relaxed because they didn't have to worry about me. So to have them just kind of leapfrogging to the checkpoints mm. and knowing that if something went bad, they'd seen it five times in the past, so they could they could help you through. So it was amazing. And then Carmel and my kids were there as well. So, mm. and again, there was no pressure on them to have to worry about me or to do it because you guys just took care of absolutely everything. So um, it was very freeing mm. for me. <laughs> I never had to once think about um, any logistics at all, thanks to you guys. Oh, that's really great to hear. So mm. I think as someone who was in the crew. Um, it's, it's definitely a sense of Rob's doing his job really well, so we really need to as well. So I'm glad you had that sense of it being okay to let go and let us do it. That's fantastic. Um, that's really, I think, detailed. I hope people appreciate how um, adaptable you were, I think, in the build-up and to a lot of changes, not only changing the way that you train through injury, but also changing the people that were supporting you, which um, is a big deal to accept and just 
go with. Just on that, you're right, Bex. I mean, I'd taken care of everything in previous races, right down to the details of when and where and how much and nutrition and all of it. And it, when I was running into Toowoomba, so the first 24Ks, there's no crew, so I'm on my own. And I was running into Toowoomba 24K to see my crew for the first time. And I, the only time I was nervous at all was that last 500 meters. I was thinking, how's this going to go? I've got a new crew. It's the first time I've done this. And there was that point of what's going to happen today. And, and then from pretty much the first time I saw you guys, I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> and, um, and it was. So there was always that, when you say, when you let go of something, you you do let go of it, you know what's going to happen. So I, um, I do remember that nervousness, but that it was soon, soon um, good. Yeah. That's fantastic. Okay, so you've mentioned it once before. You were working with a new mindset coach, or new to you, Claudine, um, and you mentioned that after last year's disappointment, this year you were going to go all in. Talk to me about what all in meant. What did that look like for you? So I, didn't, I never understood what all in meant until I met Claudine. So. So she described, I, I told her about my aspirations, how I, this is the race of my, like my most favorite race. If you gave me any race around the world that I'd like to do well in, Costa Kosciuszko means more to me than to anything else. And I said that to her and I said, look, you know, this year I want to go all in. And, and, and she's like, you don't really know what all in means, Rob. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yeah. So I strapped myself in and she described that. She goes, Robbie, you know, this is kind of a cliche, but she, she said, you've got one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake. And I really liked that um, analogy because that was exactly what I was doing. I was kind of going for it, but then holding myself back and not really going for it. And she said, going all in is not taking the foot off the brake. It's putting both feet on the accelerator. And I'd never heard that before. And when she said it, I was like, oh shit, like this is, I'm not sure if I really for this. <laughs> and from there it became, it became, teaching me how to go all in properly. And that meant a whole lot of things, saying no to so many things, to so many things in my life. I said people and things that I said no to, which ended up being amazing for me to cut, to think of myself as a professional athlete, to, mm. to treat my training as sacred and, and, and let go of the cost that I thought it was putting on my family because I really realized the benefits that they were getting, even though in the short term, going for a long run might have meant I couldn't get to do something. I was more present as a dad. I was a better father. I was more energetic. I was more excited because I was going after things I wanted in my life. So I learned all these lessons along the way, especially in the rehab, like the, the injury. I threw everything at it, like massage, physio, chiro, um, podiatrist. Like I was going to, I, I did feel like a professional athlete. Recovery, strength work with Joey, which really helped me this year, um, which I'm going to do a lot more of next year. But learning how to actually go all in was a big thing for me in my life because my pattern in life has been to cap my potential and to, and to always say, I can, I'm capable of more, but I haven't reached it yet. Mm. Or maybe one day I'll reach my potential. And never understanding that I was the one holding myself back until this year. That's quite a big realisation, isn't it? <laughs> Especially when you're an accomplished runner. It's not like you were capping your potential and doing poorly. You'd run quite well. Yeah, and I'd won races and I'd done really well. But I'd realised I'd won them by accident or I'd won them as a result of things going well without me intentionally making them go well. And, and so I'd won by someone else's mistake or I'd won because I had a good day. 
but I'd learned that, that I can create the victory and create the, the race that I'm always capable of. So yeah. That's so in the gap between Claudine telling you or explaining to you in different words that you were capping your potential in previous races and you acknowledging to yourself through these examples of you having done that, what did it take to realize that? Was it instant in the moment and you recognized it or did you have to go away and think, oh, that was harsh and then come back to the realization? Yeah, good question. So there's a lot of work in between our sessions. Our sessions might've been a month apart or three weeks apart and she'd give me the work to do. Um, so for example, with capping my potential, in a leading race, we went to a 100K race, which you needed for a qualifier. And I met Claudine maybe a, a few weeks before the race and, and she'd set up this stuff to say, um, how are you going to approach this race? And I said, oh, I don't know, it's, a, it's just a qualifier, which is how I'd normally approach a race. Oh, I'm just going to do Costa Cozzi again this year. And Claudine helped me realize how I viewed myself, my identity as a runner, and I didn't really have it. If you asked me, was I an athlete or a runner? I would probably say no. This is before wow. I met her. I know it's incredible, <laughs> right? But I didn't see myself as that. And she's like, she helped me build that athletic identity. Mm. Then she helped me. The next thing she really helped me with was being a contender. And I had never thought of myself as a contender in any race. I thought, I just didn't think I was, I was good enough or I always gave my, my um, I guess, my potential or my energy to the other people in the race. So I would look at the um, competitors and think, oh, they're heaps better than me. Or they've done more than me or they're trained harder than me. And I would give away that, um, that win. Mm. And she, she got me to a place of... of believing I was a contender in this race, which, which was the Lakes 100K race on the North Coast. And I, I, so I did this work around that and I go back to her, I say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this contender realizer. And she would, you know, quite firmly, and she, she wasn't just, and it wasn't just, you know, loose words. It was like, Rob, you, you are, you, you, your, your pedigree is that you can do this. So let's, let's own that pedigree and let's own your background. And so I came second in that race and, and that was a realization for me that, wow, I am actually capable of this and I am a contender in this race. And she's like, well, we only just, we've been working <laughs> together for three weeks and I've already got, we've already done this. So, so there's a lot of work in between sessions and, and that's where the real benefits came with saying no to people and doing the visualization and doing the identity work and, mm. and starting to believe in myself that. I was capable of competing for the podium at Costa Cozzi. And that's where we kind of went after that race. So how did it feel? And I know that you're someone who likes to run alone. For your coach, your mindset coach, to have a belief in you that you didn't have in yourself yet, that she hadn't seen through. It's not like you dropped her on a run because you hadn't trained with her. So how did it feel to have someone trying to imbue you with the belief you should have had in yourself? Yeah, well... Um, so Claudine's kind of like you, Bex, you, you, you have this, you, you have this ability that you've built. I'm not saying it's inherent, but you've built it, that it's this confidence that you back yourself. I'm not, these are my words, but it's so freeing to be around people like you because someone who like, so I've always said, yeah, I want to do this, but it's not going to be great. Or I, I'd put a but or an if or a then afterwards. But Claudine was so clear with me that you can create this. Your mindset is something you can create mm. and you can own. And I'd never been taught that before. So, and, and like I said, there weren't empty words. Like when I first said to her, I want to win Costa Cozzi, 
she kind of looked at me. She didn't know my. She didn't know I'd run it before. She didn't know any of that. She's like, okay, like tell me about. Does it have to be this year? Like, can we do, can we make it a three year plan? And then she unpacked. And then she she did her research. And she's like, well, you are absolutely like you are absolutely capable of this. So so there was that. She she knew that I was capable, and she helped me lift all the crap off through that way that you and her both are, which is we're going for this and there's no plan B. Mm. And that's so intoxicating to be around because <laughs> it just makes it makes life simpler because there's not all the head trash that stops you in your tracks, stops mm. me in my tracks, yeah. Just looking at you, I feel like maybe she's given you some permission to believe something that you maybe wanted to believe beforehand. Oh, Bex nailed it. That permission, I think she... I think one of the exercises with me was me writing a permission note for myself wow. because it I is permission. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is permission, right? Because by, by giving your power to somebody else, you've got to give yourself permission to take it back mm. and to say, I'm, I'm as good as these guys, be, you know, for the, these reasons or just because I choose to be good, mm. as good as these guys. So permission was a big thing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. So you talked about your identity and working early with Claudine about your identity as a contender. What was the next step after believing you're a contender? Yeah, so we snuck up on believing I could win it from so contender to 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 the point of knowing I was going to win it. That 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 was that's the scale that we worked along, and it was that was a five month. Sorry, from yeah, so from July to the, to the start of end of November. That was the journey that we went on of building the knowledge that I, I could win. So, and, and Claudine's steps are, I can win. So it's mm. maybe I can, I will win to I am a winner. So it goes from the possibility that maybe if everybody else gets sick and doesn't enter the race and I'm the only one, I can win it, right? And you've got to get to that point where, okay, I could win it. I've trained for this long. My build-up's been good. I've run the race. I know I can do it. I could possibly win. So that's a step in itself, right, to get to that. Then there's the will. So the will is the forcing something to happen, which is I'm going to use my, I'm going to outwill everybody in that race. I don't care how ugly this gets. I am just going to make sure that nobody else outwills me. I'm going to outwill the field. But the last step is the one that I've probably found the hardest, which is I am the winner. And Joe, Joe taught me that Mike Tyson said you have, to, you have to be the champion before you become the champion. Mm. And, and that's, that's about the embodiment through the visualization and through the mantras and through the daily hundred times embodying that I am the 2022 Costa Kosciuszko champion. And, and saying, and then the first hundred times you're buying saying, no, you're not. Yeah. And, and all of that stuff to stop myself. And they're just working through it, working through it, working through it. And, and then even getting hammered by Claudine, which is <laughs> her job, saying, you know, you're not owning this. Step it up. Do it more. Do it more. Make it brighter. Make it easier. I want you to imagine winning by five hours. Stop mm -hmm. making it hard and, and doing those exercises. Yeah. I'd love to hear some more about the exercises. You mentioned visualizations yeah. already, but what was some more of the mindset work in the lead up to the race? Yes. Um, I th so the mantras. So if, I think we go back. One of the key points Claudine teaches is what she calls reigning in the mind. Mm. Um, I never realized how logical 
I was in my thinking. You probably know, but I, <laughs> my so she separated me into logical Rob and dreamer Rob, and and logical Rob is needed and it's useful, but logical Rob gets in the way of my dreams because he puts the how and how are we going to do that and that couldn't ha- hasn't happened in the past, so it's not going to happen in the future, and you can't do this or blah 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 blah. All of the reasons, reasons. Whereas dreamer Rob just wants to go and win. Mm. So. Raining in the mind became, it started in the context of running. So I'd be, I'd be running and she would get me to practice. As, my, as I was running training and I was starting to think about her pain or how far I had to go or things I had to do at home or work or kids or anything, she would have me bring my mind back to my intention. So my intention might be, today I'm doing 20 kilometers at, um, I don't know, a 14 minute run, one minute walk, for example. So I would just bring it back to that mantra. Then the mind would drift away and I'd rein it in. And every time I reined it in, I got better and better at noticing that my mind was drifting. So that awareness that she taught me that your mind is actually drifting off your task was a huge revelation to me. In that Lakes 100 race, I was at the 65, I can still picture exactly where I was, 65 kilometer mark. I just moved into fourth place. I was moving up the field. And I was looking over my shoulder and I was thinking, is this, is this guy going to catch me again? I can't, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to go and this guy's going to catch me. Can I, can I? And, I, I, and I remembered that rain in the mind and I brought my mind back to what I was doing, which was in that race, it was a 14-1. And I still can feel the freedom that I had from letting go of that. So that raining in the mind became like one of the key mindset things that I did. So any time when I was training and it went off to, Maybe I'm not as good as insert this person, or maybe I'm not as well trained as not mm. as blah blah blah. I would rein it back in and get back to my task and focus on what I was doing. Sounds simple, but it took me months to learn it. It had a huge impact, and then I, then we started doing it in life as well. So, as a leader at work and mm. as a leader at home, you know, to to do that. That's yeah. amazing, and I love for people to hear that as well because, as someone that listens to your podcast, we often think that you have this bulletproof mindset and you're constantly positive and I saw you be positive in some of the really really challenging parts of this race so I think it's really actually encouraging for the rest of us normal human runners to hear you know that it is work and it it doesn't come easy to you and it's something that you've had to work through so um, not that we want you to have challenging experiences but I think it humanizes you a little bit to know that um, you've had to do some work to get to the strength that you know the strength that your mind of mindset that you had in the race that's really, really good. What, some, what were some of the other, so you talked about your mantras and reigning the mind. What were some of the other mindset work and activities that you had to do? Um, yeah, so the mantras, the visualization, uh, reigning in the mind, um, so connection. So a huge part of my build-up was connecting to the reasons I was doing Coast to Cosio, Osco, what it meant to me and and building that deeper connection to the race, to the race's history, to the people that I'd met in you know, the 12 years that I'd done it, to my mum and dad who had crewed me for so many years and had really strengthened our relationship. And, but also what it meant to me, this race embodies everything about running to me. So it, it, put, it puts my potential, it's so hard, it's so long, there's so many things you have to get right. But connecting with that, and knowing what it meant to me was a big part of my preparation. And I think I learned that connecting to something bigger, that's, that's, that's the performance mindset that we built, which was 
completely different to the training mindset. Um, and when I learned to connect to a higher purpose, and I don't want to get all weird with this, but it, I, it really stretched me to realize the, um, the, the way that I learned to maximize my potential was to get out of my head and to connect with all of those bigger reasons and and float around in that possibility space and Claudine was so big on thinking infinitely and mm. and there was a mantra that I came up with with Claudine's work of course she led me to it but their mantra was I am everything and that's not an egotistical thing it's 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 not a mantra that you know it, it, what it, what it meant to me was as I ran I was able to connect with my whole surrounding mm. and imagine that I was the tree, the rock. And this come, and Martin did a lot of work, this work with the non-dualism stuff as well. So this is credit to Martin as well. But Claudine helped me get to that point where, and I remember her saying in one of the sessions, Rob, your, your purpose here is to bring your highest and fullest version of yourself to this race. Mm. So where you're having a transcendental experience, other people are worrying about the little pain in their mm. foot. And that's the place that she got me to was to be running along and completely connected to the crew, to the race, to the, you know, the, the rocks, the cows, the trees, all that kind of stuff. And it even sounds weird saying it, but that's the place that I ran that race from. And it was, it was that experience. So that when I, my, my feet, my plantar fasciitis was hurting, my sciatica was hurting, all of it just dissolved because, you know, I was talking to... I was floating in that infinite space. Yeah, that's so amazing. There's quite a lot of work there, I think, in terms of mindset. And I've done one of your workshops and I've heard that you think about your training in terms of the physical training and the mental training um, to do well in races. And I think it's amazing that um, we've talked around, we've talked about some of the things that you changed around your training plan because of the injuries. Was there anything that you had to change around your mindset training as you practiced it? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I had to let go of feeling like I was being what's um, what's not humble, like uh, being big-headed or arrogant. When Claudine was helping me realize that I am a contender in this race, I had to get over that tall poppy syndrome or something of realizing that really going for something mm. was beneficial instead of being detrimental to myself, to my family, to whatever. And that was a huge thing for me to not think that I was being selfish or big-headed with, um, with saying I'm going to... And so, for example, I didn't tell anybody I was going to win except for Claudine. And I, I actually, I rang Joe Warden. I told him, I said, I need to share this with you because... Of and, and Claudine... <laughs> that must have been a great call. Yeah, yeah, it was a great call. He loved it. You can imagine he was dancing... The Claudine's like, why haven't you told your wife? And I'm mm. like, and, and so I, I got off the phone. It was my, one of my homework. And I, I remember standing in front of her and saying, trying, the words just wouldn't come out mm. because I felt like I was being, like, you know, this big headed guy who said, this is, I'm going to win this. And so it taught, I had to like, and then, and she's like, just say it, just say it. And then she kind of coached me through it. And then, and she's like, that's not big headed. That's awesome. She has go for it. And then, and, and everybody that I, Consequently, 
talk to her about it. We're like, that's, that's amazing. And I, I can see the effect, the amount of messages after the race and everything. I can see how when you get out of that limited mindset and you free yourself from it, other people go along for the ride and they do things in their life because of that. And I never, I never thought it was that. I, th- I always yeah. thought you play small and I don't know what I thought, but she helped me break through that shit. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Mm. Oh, it's, so, it's so, it is infectious. I think mm. that's probably what you're referring to in seeing other people coming along for the ride. It is really infectious. And I think as someone who's near you when you're expressing that, it's actually, um, there's something attractive about it because it is, it is coming from a place of genuine belief and it's not arrogant. I don't think it's ever come across as arrogant to any of us. It's just you deciding to have complete belief in your, in your running ability, which of course you should. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's really cool. It was tremendously freeing to, mm. to be able to say those words to people and especially yeah. to your crew, you know? Uh, yeah, so, so, and the way that you all rose to the occasion and, and then confided in me that you were afraid of messing up or, <laughs> or not getting it right or not being fast enough in pacing. It's like, oh, wow, I never thought, I always thought I was the, yeah, the one that had all the fear. So yeah. I had to really work a lot on myself. And that's years of conditioning, right? Right from childhood conditioning to yeah. not be the one that stands out, not be the one that goes for it. Yeah. And I think on a smaller scale, um, so Rob now knows, so I can say this without shocking him, that we had one group for the crew that he was in and it was just formal information going on that group. And we had a shadow group that he wasn't in called Rob's Secret Coast to Cozy <laughs> Support Group. And on that group, we talked about our fears of he goes so, he runs so quickly, maybe we can't keep up to pace him. Um, he's such an exceptional athlete, even though he doesn't see it, we might not be a good enough crew for an athlete of this caliber. And without Rob knowing it, we were going through our own <laughs> imposter syndrome. He'd panned picked the super crew. And as the super crew, we were thinking, goodness, what if his parents see mistakes that we made that they wouldn't have made having been by his side for so many races before. Um, but because we knew that this meant so much to him, you know, as you said, we rose the occasion and dealt with it, <laughs> did what it, we needed to do to um, give you the crew that you deserved, I think. So I'm really glad that we didn't mess up, but it worked out. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So I want to get into the race. Yeah. Um, and I only t- I was really sad to miss the beginning of the race. Um, and hopefully you'll be able to share some of the footage with people and maybe we can link that into the podcast yeah, somehow. Cool. Um, but talk to me about, oh, I suppose before we jump into the race, is there anything else you wanted to cover off that you dealt with or learned through your preparation? I think we've covered it all. Yeah, Fantastic. Thanks, Beck. Yep. So getting into the race now, um, maybe give us an overview and we can pull apart some of those things. Um, arriving in Eden with your family, traveling separately from your crew, but knowing that they were there. Um, talk to us about how, what did that feel like and, and what were some of the thoughts that were going through your head at that time? Handing over everything to the crew was such a huge thing for me so I could just focus on being the runner and I've never experienced such freedom of, of just that. So, so I gave this, all my stuff to you guys, like, just you, you packed it all you labeled it all you took it in your van we went down separately i was playing putt putt golf with angus in the caravan park the night before the race i was super relaxed because you'd prepared you all prepared so much the documentation was flawless like it was all taken care of so there was no last minute worries about about things i had to tidy up that was tremendously freeing um i got more sleep before this race than i think mm, i ever wow. had in my life as a result of of that and also 
not being not entering the race with fear so in previous years previous races i'd gone in thinking oh this is such a big event am i capable of this am i going to be able to finish and and all the mindset work i'd done this year took away all that stuff because i knew what was going to happen because i'd visualized it so many mm. times so i was able to sleep um and then so to the race um I'm severely introverted, so I don't like being around. So even at the start, I checked in and then I disappeared off to the to the round the side, and I just sat there and I did my visualization and I just really immersed myself in that welcome to country and then mm-hmm. gratitude. So I went through each of my crew and I I was expressed my gratitude. This is just internally. This is not to their face for them giving up their weekend for coming down and supporting me for all the things they did individually as a person and all the things I admire about them. And I really connected with them because I was so, I was so soaking in gratitude. Mm. I was still overwhelmed at all the crew who were coming down and giving up their time. And, and it was, it was, so I was running with that fuel of gratitude right from the start. So there was no room for fear. And what about if this person, you know, it's better than me. It was just swamped um, with that. Um, so then, if, so keep on going. I was able to start the race and then I really enjoyed the first 24. I ran with a few guys like Luke Thompson and Mark Avery and um, um, Andy Hayden and I got to meet some people that I hadn't spoken to. So it was really nice just to settle into the race but I do like to run alone. So eventually I, I broke off on my own and um, met up with the crew. And like you said, I was well, I wasn't even thinking about place. I was 10th place. So I found out later on into Wamba and slower than previous years. Um, but I didn't even, didn't even know that until we did the post-race review. So then the mindset was continuing to um, connect with the reasons I was there, connect with the crew and at one stage, uh, 12 kilometers in that sciatica pain started and it had really um, held me back in my training. So I wasn't able to run a full stride because if I stretched out, the pain would shoot from my glute right down the back of my knee. And uh, I remembered something that um, Uncle BJ had said in that Welcome to Country at the start. And he said, um, basically, the spirits are here to guide you safely away. So I talked to their spirits and I remember asking them to help me and to protect me and take away my pain and mm. and I and I I felt something like I felt that connection and 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 then I just felt safe like even though the pain was still there I just felt as though I I had reached that higher level that I wanted to and it didn't really mm. get it didn't certainly didn't worsen it probably got better as I continued to connect previous years I would have gone into the pain and how mm. I can't run fast I probably should walk and this could be the end of my mm. race it's going to be a long day. I was just about to say, I can, I can sort of see in your eyes what it meant to you to do something about it. And what came to my mind is a couple of times you've talked about your work with Claudine and the things that you're doing and the things that you believe being a choice. And just as you were describing that, I was thinking you took a choice, you made a choice to do something about it and not to focus on your pain, but actually to do, to do whatever it was that felt right to you in the moment. Um, and I guess for those listening, you were by yourself. At this point, you weren't allowed any paces for the first between 5.30 in the morning and 8.30 that night. So that's a lot of solo running, even for a solo runner. So it's just remarkable that in that moment you decided to do whatever felt right to you to choose not to dwell in the pain. I'd never had any connection with an uh, you know, Indigenous elder before or anything like that. 
it was, as you say, Claudine always says mindset's a choice. And mm. so, yeah, I had a choice to, to go down that downward spiral, but um, it just felt like the right thing to do. And it felt like I'd been given that opportunity and, and I took it. And yeah, yeah so, um, and I, I was talking to other runners and they were even talking about, oh, you know, it's, we, we're almost at the whatever kilometre mark. And, I, and they, were to think, they were still thinking in, yeah. in, that, in that kind of mindset which they were also choosing probably without knowing it. And mm. hopefully they listen to this and they can realise that there's other yeah. options out there. Yeah. That's amazing. Maybe we can send this to the Coast to Cozzy um, race crew. That would be fun. Good idea. This episode, that would be fantastic. Yeah. So I just want to pick up on two things that you glossed over because I would like to give credit where credit is due. Yeah. You talked about the paperwork being sorted and your kit being sorted and all yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but first of all, I'd like to thank you for having a plan. Um, I think that the crew benefited from you having committed it to paper and actually thought about it. And I guess from doing the work, if you didn't have um, the support of a mindset coach and a running coach and your racing experience and a supportive family, we might not have got a coherent plan out of you. But for us, we had a couple of pages typed out on A4 of the mindset work that you'd planned to do, which then allowed us to have something to work from and not make things up or, or, you know, operate in chaos. Mm. So Jay was working... Jay did put together some great um, crew paperwork to break that down, I think, into bite-sized chunks. And we had a, an off-crew and an on-crew roster and that kind of thing. But it definitely did start with knowing how you wanted the race to go. And the second thing that I wanted to give credit for is to Jay for taking hours to make this fantastic. So um, Jay acknowledges that she had a great crew on Ultraman and I want to um, uh, give credit to them as well and really went to the nth degree to make sure that we put quality where it was needed. We gave you quick paces where we expected you to run fast. We gave you strong paces where we knew you were going to have some elevation to deal with. Um, we always had someone who could navigate in every crew um, and just little details like that so that you didn't have to worry about where's my crew van because we were going to bring the crew to you. Um, so I wanted to thank both you and Jay for put, putting those plans together before the race because there's absolutely no way that could have been done on the fly. It was really well executed. Um, so to go back to your race, you've got this, um, I suppose, crew that can only do so much to support you. So what was it like, I guess, running with, you're running by yourself at this point? What was the difference between running by yourself in the day and having intermittent um, bits of support from your crew as they started to leapfrog you from this point onwards? It was, <laughs> I think I said to you in one of the crew meetings, um, it, it's a spiritual experience, Coast to Cosy, and, and I, I didn't know how, what that really meant to each different person because it was, or different personalities but I said in one of them the lowest point it's keeping my spirit high and that was <laughs> I felt like the whole day you the crew was so happy and they were so in like genuinely happy not just faking it they were having a good time and they were laughing pulling jokes putting music on dancing like so I would come around the corner after 4ks and I would see the crew van I would see you know the reflective vest and the nutrition out and and I just I was just couldn't believe i was in this state of awe that people would be there for me and be crewing me and be so happy so that little i got this little shot of gratitude every time i saw them and that that's just like that's all i needed to keep me going all day so and i, I kept on saying to people can you imagine how good it felt to be running and having all these people cheering you on and giving you food and drinks and and kicking me at the ass when you're not i wasn't eating enough at one stage my stomach went bad but um it was such an incredible, I would do the whole thing again. <laughs> and I don't think many people would say that about Costa Cozzi because I just loved through the day, 
through the night, I as well, but through the day when you asked about it, really leapfrogging, it was just like magic. Every time I met the crew, mm-hmm. you just gave me so much fun and energy. And I remember running with Tim Kaprizak at one point and he was so jealous of you guys. <laughs> He's like, I wanted to be with you. You know, no, not taking away from his crew, but he, you know, you put a smile on Tim's face. He was loving it. And then he said, you know, when the crew van gently pulled away, he was so disappointed. <laughs> what the crew to beat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, so, so and, the, and the effect that has on someone's race, it, like Costa Cozzi, is so huge. Like it's, it just gives the runner so much. Amazing. Yeah. So in between all of that, how did you feel like you were executing your plan? I, my plan was, um, okay, so my race plan was two things, to win mm-hmm. and to bring the fullest and highest version of myself to the race. And I kept on saying that to myself. So it's so different than saying I'm going to run 4.15 minute Ks you know, and run a sub three hour marathon or I'm going to do this pace to here or I'm going to do this heart rate or this rate. And so when I looked down at my heart rate and it was over 160, which it shouldn't have been, I didn't care because I was bringing the fullest and highest potential of, my, of myself. I didn't slow down. I didn't panic. I didn't walk to get my heart rate down, which I'd had previously. So I, I didn't even... Nothing seemed to matter except making sure that I squeezed every second of enjoyment and brought everything I could to the race. So that was really the race plan. And and I really felt like I did that the whole race. I don't feel like I lapsed apart. And the stomach went bad a little time. But um, one of the intentions was to arrive awesome, thanks to Joe Ward's words, at the Big Dead Tree. Now, what that meant to me in my visualizations, I imagined myself doing a little dance at the Big Dead Tree, which... If you can do a little jig after 100 k's, it means you're pretty free in your in your legs and that. And so I was able to do that, which was you know, which was really cool to to know that I'd run 100 k's and could still mm. do a bit of a Irish jig at the Big Dead Tree. <laughs> I definitely can't imagine that for myself, but having seen it, it definitely was awesome. It's amazing. Oh goodness. So in my mind, um, you're at Big Dead Tree now, so you're sort of getting into the racing mindset. Talk to me about that transition in mindset from having an easy first less than half to, to really working a little bit differently, I guess, towards the second half of the race. Yeah, so checkpoint, uh, for the Geningra Road checkpoint four was where we organized a full kit change. So that's completely changed clothes and new pair of shoes for the tarmac because it goes from dirt road to bitumen there. And even though I said the race starts at Jindabyne, this was really, I knew the course quite well and I knew it was very runnable for the next 45k to Dalgetty. Um, so feeling like a new kit, you know, it was beautiful. We had a crew change there and it just felt like a transition. So I kind of started afresh there and I ran with Marie Connor, I ran with Tim Kaprizak there and we just seemed to, I just have such fond memories of running with those two champion Australian runners and I felt like, like, you know, I felt like I was amongst the elite then. We were chatting. It was so easy. We were chatting. We were waiting for each other. We were kind of leapfrogging, working together. The crews were all cheering us on. You guys were, it was banter between you. And it was just this magic couple of hours of running as the sun was going down, working together, wanting to stay together. And, mm. you, know, a couple, you know, a couple of problems um, each of us had meant we split up. But that whole section was easy and it, f- it flowed and... Um, it was really where I set up the back end of the race without meaning to. I just, I stuck to my, I, you know, I left him there. I left Marie there and, and I went off um, um, to Dalgetty um, 
and we arrived in Dalgetty just after dark and that's where I picked up my first pacer, Alice, at about 130k, 135k, mm. yeah. So how do you race change once you started to have pacers with you? Oh, it got better. So as I said, I'm an introvert, but I love conversation. So I love, so I got to run with these amazing people who really were incredible athletes of their own and had done so much and had amazing lives and were amazing conversationalists. So, I mean, I had Jay going up Cowbell Trail, which is such a bonus to run with her. But then in the night, I had each of you for maybe an hour. I'm not even sure how long you stayed, what your crew rotation was. Yeah, I think it was a it was a little bit different for each person, depending on how much quicker than your race plan that you were going. Because I think we're all average runners. And um, I think having spoken to the crew afterwards, most people ran a marathon each to support you. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I certainly didn't. Um, but every other runner ran almost a marathon, if not a little bit more. Wow. And... For some of those runners, they had to think about the next day's running with you, but for others, they could run quite a lot. So it was yeah. based on how the runners felt really and right. um, how well you were running, which was actually quite a nice feeling for us to not feel like we had to flog a pacer yeah. to get you to the next pacer. We really had a lot of freedom because we got such quality athletes in. I say we, Kaima, Tri Tri Kaima Triathlon Club runners are really exceptional and I get the pleasure of spending a lot of time with them. But um, yeah, we, we, we can call it an hour, but I think it was mm. it definitely changed from depending on the terrain, the terrain yeah, and the yeah. elevation and things like that yeah so i felt like i got to just hang out with a quality human being for this time from alice to hannah and then yourself going up balaka like so bex for those of you listening took me up balaka range about a three kilometer cl pretty steep climb and it felt like we got up there in 10 minutes and i didn't want you to leave because we were having such an <laughs> awesome chat about your work and your your executive coaching and all the stuff you do at work and i was like blown away and then all of a sudden you're like we're at the top and you peeled off to the van and then jay you joined me and i was like what we're already at the top of the locker it was and that's how my race went like i was so engaged in the in the moment of the conversation and we'd see wombat or we'd you know see the stars and we'd turn the headlights off and it just felt like we were surrounded by magic and then of course the crew van giving me coffee and you know I just, it, like I said, I'd do it all again. Mm -hmm. So I just got so immersed in what we were chatting about and where we were that I, I didn't think about, you know, trying to win or anything like that. <laughs> it was all kind of done. I learned so much about each of you from that race. And I, I just, I, I loved it. I was disappointed when every pace I had to leave because we were deep in conversation. But then the next person would come in and they had this, you're all mm. so excited, enthusiastic. And that just, that just rubbed off on me the whole that's time. So, yeah, I felt so wrapped up in love. Oh, that's so, that's so good. I'd love to hear how, I guess, okay, so I guess for context, Dalgetty was when I heard that you were struggling with food options. Um, so to hear you talk to us now about how good you felt running beside different paces all the time. It's kind of remarkable because you're a little bit behind your nutrition from mm. that point onwards. Um, yeah. How did it feel, I guess, when you were being informed of these little things like you're behind on nutrition and things like that from different characters, I guess, different personalities as you were going along? Yeah, so, because I knew how well prepared you were and I knew each of you were athletes, each of you knew how important nutrition was. I still felt like you had that under control, even though you were you know, hard on me and, and, and hammering me and saying, you're behind, you got to keep going, keep going. I was doing whatever I could. Anything I ate was like really painful, like really, really pain. Like, I, I, you know, it was really hurting. So I, but I'd, I'd try and I'd eat, but I still felt like you had it under control. 
um, so it, I knew I had to eat and I was forcing down whatever I could. I was taking whatever you, you would give me. I, I hope I was. <laughs> but um, I, only a few times. So I had a few dips. And each time I had a dip, one of you picked up what was going on and fixed it in a matter of minutes. Mm. And a specific time I remember was Ben. We were walking up to Smiggins. And I felt as low as I can remember in any race. And I, I, like a wave came over me. And I almost felt like sitting down and stopping. And he said, don't worry, Rob, you're just, you're just low on glucose. We're going to get some sugar into you over the next 10 minutes and you'll be fine. And that's exactly what happened. And that's, that example, could have I could have used that any time in the race because that's how you looked after me. I felt like you were on top of everything. You looked after me in every single way. And all I had to do was run. And, even, and so Ben was right. You, you shoved snakes and coke into me and within a matter of minutes I was running as well as I had mm. and and that's what I mean I was able to let go of all that stuff and yeah that, that's because you had it all under control that's amazing so just before I get yep. into when I think the race really kicked off and got exciting for the rest of us how did you find the balance of accessing your mindset um I guess discipline and the things that you practiced while having some pacer chatting away to you beside you at the same time yeah it's a good question um, yeah, sometimes, yeah, that's a good question. Sometimes I would be feeling bad and you'd be, so the crew would be talking, the co-pacer would be talking to me and I'd have to say, look, I just need a few moments of silence or something. So I, I remember saying to most paces, I won't take a backward step in telling you if I need some silence and, and you were all totally on board with that. So that was a really freeing conversation. Whereas normally if you get stuck in a conversation with somebody <laughs> you don't like, it's pretty hard to say that. So I was able to say that and then I would practice reigning in the mind or I would practice a higher connection. But those moments seemed very few because I, I felt like I had it all on automatic mm. because I'd, I'd done so much visualization. Like I was doing it three and four times a day, the whole race. And in that I was practicing connecting. I was practicing seeing it easy. I was practicing the nutrition. I was practicing mm. it all. So it was like my... I, I felt like it was it was laid in so many hundreds of times over the previous weeks that yeah. it was it was automatic. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's pretty freeing to say to a pacer, "I don't feel like talking. Can we just have silence for ten minutes?" And they'd be like, "No problem." Rob didn't say that to me, by the way. He made me <laughs> talk to him with my heart rate at something ridiculously high as we went at Balaka Range. That conversation's just... not finished either. I still want to... <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll deal with that later. Um, so I just want to, I, I guess, paint the picture of. Rob running from the beach at Eden with his own water and electrolytes and nutrition because he didn't have a pacer to carry them. So I guess the crew changes, uh, sorry, the checkpoints where we gave him nutrition, we took empty bottles and we gave him things to carry. And I think the change there for people who weren't there to visualize is when he got a pacer from 8.30 that evening, he didn't have to carry things anymore. So it was not only the freedom of being able to say to his pacer, do this or don't do this, it's literally the freedom to not carry your own nutrition because it was permitted to have your pacer's meal for you. And I say that because in the second half of the race, Rob went so much quicker and it wasn't, I think, trying to run fast. I think he, it just looks like he felt good that we were robbed of sleep and the crew changed and we were rudely awoken <laughs> to find out that Rob, been, Rob had been running so well that we had to get up much, much, much earlier than planned to get out there and um, to get on with it and pace him towards the end. And I think as we were maybe going from 
Smiggins or Perisher up towards Charlotte's Pass. That's when the race was really on, from what I could tell. So tell us about, I guess, th this this change in oh, energy, I guess, towards the end of the race. So Nick Bamford had run an incredible race. He, he'd gone out really solidly and he was extending his lead um, right throughout the race, right up to Jindabyne. He was putting time on me and the rest of the field right up to Jindabyne. And I'd said to you guys, I don't want to know anything about the race until Jindabyne. And at Jindabyne, he told me, you're, an hour, you're in second place and you're an hour off the lead. And instantly, in my mind, I think I even said to Charlie, we're going to win this. Like, we can get him. So then it became a really focused race from Jindabyne. So from Jindabyne, there's about five or six K to the Threadbow River. Then the climb starts. And I remember being with Charlie then and we just got into a rhythm. Um, great walking rhythm. Run, walk, run when we could, walk when we, when we couldn't. And we just work solidly right all the way up to Smiggins, couple of pacer changes. And then we got to Perisher and we realized we were 20 minutes behind Nick. And that's when we knew like we were, we were imminently going to see him. And mm. then, you know, obviously when he saw us, he was going to put on a, a, a fight, which is exactly what happened. So from Perisher, the, the road flattens and it kind of gets round, um, sorry, um, S-bands and, and it's beautiful there and we spotted Nick about 5k maybe 4k to Charlotte Pass and he was walking with his pacer John I believe and um, and from there we gained on Nick to a couple of hundred meters behind him at Charlotte Pass and um, that that's really when I guess we clicked into an, uh, probably another gear was mm. when we passed him at Charlotte Pass. I just want to stop there for a second yeah. before yeah. we go beyond Charlotte's Pass because I think from our perspective, that's when we could see the change in you. I could definitely see it in your eyes because as we rounded the S-bends, you could see Nick in first place go out towards the, you know, on the outside of the S-bend and then disappear again. And it was quite steep actually t towards Charlotte's Pass. And I remember in your race plan, you planned to walk the uphill and you were going at a pace. And I think we could see in your demeanor and the look in your eye that you were intelligently but definitely had every intention of closing that gap and I think from the crew's perspective it was really interesting to see the easy having a great time party party beside the crew bus Rob change into this real real competitor that was really determined it was fantastic how did that how did it feel on your end yeah I do remember that actually I remember that switch that flicked in me when I saw him um, it's funny Vex because it's it's part of my personality that only comes out when I race and I and I know that they when I used to play football, or sorry, soccer, like many years ago, they used to say I got white line fever <laughs> and that competitor would come out in me. But I, I guess in life it doesn't come out very often. But it came out, yeah, it came out that day because it's something, I, I, I don't know, it's a part of me that maybe I haven't fully explored in my life, but I know it's there and, you know, sometimes at work, if it's a hectic job that we're at, it, it, or it comes out, but... In a race, when I'm chasing down somebody like that, I, I know the competitor that Nick is and I knew what it would take to beat him, mm. but I knew that I could beat him. That's fantastic. And, and that, that came out of me and um, mm. I don't think that was training. I think that's all pure mindset really when, when that came out. I, de I definitely remember the point we were talking about mm. where I was, yeah, I switched into that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Like, yeah. So at this point we saw Carmel, 
we saw some of your friends, Benson, and yeah. it was nail biting close. We were messaging everyone on our secret group about how close you were to Nick as you approached Charlotte's Pass. So back to you to pick up the race from that point. So we were a couple hundred meters behind him. I actually said to Charlie, if they stop the race here for an inclement weather finish, I'll be devastated for the rest of my life because we were maybe two or 300 meters behind. Cosy was completely covered in cloud and the wind was blowing up. I didn't know really how cautious the race directors were gonna be or if we we're gonna get a summit finish. So there was no way we were gonna catch him up over that period, but I remember saying to Charlie, oh no, if this finishes it. So we kind of watched Nick get the Charlotte pass. They didn't put the finishing line up, which meant we were gonna have a summit finish. And that's when Charlie and I, Nick peeled off to the car and we went through and, um, and we were in the lead. So it was right at that point at Charlotte Pass where the path comes off the road. Mm. We, we, we passed Nick and, um, you know, we just kind of shared a little look. And then I kind of knew that it, it, the race was coming. I knew that Nick <laughs> was coming for us. So, and that was kind of, that was great. So then the rest of the crew joined me. Um, so I had five, uh, four, five people with me come up from the crew because I had to get the mandatory gear checked at Charlotte Pass. And then we started a pretty good pace. Mm. We ran a lot of that those first few Ks because we knew that Nick would be coming, which he was. And at what point, I guess for those who weren't there, it was actually snowing as well as cloudy on Cosy. And you'd come from pretty warm weather earlier in the race to relatively inclement weather, I would say. So at what point did, I guess, the terrain become challenging for you as you were going up and, and did other things other than the pure competition start to play on your mind? Um, the, the snow was all over the trail a lot at one point and um, they'd had an excavator dig out the trail and that being closed we had to we had to choose a route and this is where once again the crew just took the lead i remember dan just getting in front and finding a route and i just had to follow him same as when we got the gingerbread jody just found that path around that the race directors had said i didn't have to think about it. i just followed jody's feet so this is again where the crew just stepped in dan took the lead and led the path i had hannah with me and Jay and I had Benson come up. So we were just working. I just I just still remember it's burning in my brain, us working hard through that snow. I slipped over at one point and they, you know, they stopped me straight in the hill. I was on my poles at the, at the time and we were just, we were moving so well. Um, and I was getting updates that Nick was closing and he was gaining on us. So, you know, there was that part in my mind pushing me and I, I loved it like I, I loved it. I loved how hard we had to work knowing that this was no sure thing that he was coming for us and I you know I know what he's capable of so and we worked hard all the way up to that top to the top of Cozzy the whole way up and so I'm just curious I know that you know of Nick Bamford's calendar caliber you knew he was racing that day and he was going to be a contender along with you what would it have been, how would it have changed your race if he wasn't the guy that you were chasing towards the end? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, anybody that would have been up there would have been, like there was a lot of, the runners in this race were great. I mean, multiple Australian representatives, Dave Turnbull, Andy Hayden, Barry Keane was in the race, Tim Caprazak, like Marie Connor, like we had all these, they had a class field, so any one of them, but Nick stands out. I, I, mm. I you're probably right. I just, I just kind of, in all my visualizations, I knew he was the one to beat that day, and it, that's what came true on the, on the day. He, he's an exceptional athlete, and he's what he's done in his short career, he's going to exponentially in blow, blow us all out of the water in the future. So, I suppose for for your 
for your success this year, it probably just makes the, the win all that's the, the sweeter, you know, having that respect for the person that you've beaten as well. Yeah, I think holding him in such a high regard and knowing that, and I, I could have gone either way, right? He, went, he had such a great race and he, he, he was leading by so far. I don't know if he was going for a race record or what, but he was going really hard and, you know, obviously he'll learn from it. I, you know, he'll learn from it and, um, and come back bigger and better. But mm. I think on the day, yeah, it, it was definitely sweeter to beat someone like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nick. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so we're heading up towards the summit of Kosciuszko. I guess I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, you talked about connection um, mm -hmm. as well as having mindset work to do, I guess, to keep yourself present. Talk to me about some of the things you accessed on the way up and on the way back down. How did that go for you? Yeah, so the, if I put myself back in there, I was just in that animal mode of working as hard as I could. So I don't think there was much connection or anything, having said that, I was completely connected to my crew. I knew mm. where each of them was the whole time. So I felt like we were working as a team mm. and I was I was just in that absolute animal mode of, of, of driving as hard as I could and as fast as I could and relying on them to let me know mm. if Nick was, was gaining. So we had, I think Jay and Jody dropped back and, and then Charlie was catching us. So there wasn't much connection to higher purpose there it was more about um yeah being in that fight mode for mm. that battle mode yeah that's fantastic and i do remember hannah saying to me at the top like she was just exclaiming on how awesome it was to be a part of this race and this battle and and she still talks about you know being a part of that kind of final mm. battle on the mountain i guess yeah so it was it was it was really encompassing to be in that and then especially when we got to the top first in front of Nick and knowing that I had that slight advantage that I'd beat him to the top of Cozzy and we had to get down. So I knew I had started him on the race back down. So that mm. was, we didn't stop much at the top for happy snaps this year. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So I want to ask you a couple of yeah. more questions, but first of all, just get us across the line. Oh, Talk yeah. to us about this finish. Um, got to the top, a couple of quick photos. We had about 500 meters on Nick, maybe four to 500 meters. It was about five minutes um, lead we had on him and we passed on the way down and then I kind of knew I had the win then and we gassed it. So we went hard as a crew. We, we ran, it's 9K back down of the Charlotte Pass. We picked up Charlie on the way back because he'd been waiting at Seaman's Heart and then, and then we, we, we got the rest of the crew and then it was so... I wanted to finish as a crew. I didn't want to, I, the crew was kind of holding back and I thought that you wanted me to, to finish across the line on my own and I didn't want that. I, did, I truly felt like it was a, it was a team thing and, and so I, I remember yelling up saying, come with me, come with me because I, I wanted us, I had this picture of us all crossing the finishing line together. So um, No disrespect to the crew, they're fantastic athletes but they were gassed. Rob was really, really running quite quickly at this point and I think I mentioned before they'd run a marathon each, but yeah. Rob had run 240 kilometers. But I guess that just maybe speaks to the adrenaline yeah. that maybe you had at that moment. Yeah, I don't think that was training. I think that was mindset and adrenaline and knowing that with two Ks to go, with with one kilometer to go, that, that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to win this race. And then you came up the path and you were like filming and interviewing me. I don't think you guys actually knew who was going to come across first. You, you probably knew in your mind that I, but, um, in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think the people at Charlotte Pass knew who was going to finish first, Nick or I. So I think when I came around the corner, 
um, that's when I really let myself go and to enjoy it because I've been focusing on Wayne Gregory told me many years ago we got to the top of Cozy and he's like you can't switch off here mm. you've still got to get back down you've still got to get to the finish line you've got to stay switched on the race doesn't stop here so and I always remember those words in my mind so with, with, a, with a K to go I'm like no one's taking the top of me now so we started to celebrate and then I wanted to have everybody come with me um, and pretty much that's what we did. We finished as a crew. I had you, you were there filming, which was captured. Benson filmed this amazing, he filmed like the last seven minutes mm. of the race. Greg and Mickey, who had resurrected the race, held the finishing line. I had my, my wife and kids and mum and dad, and I had, you know, the rest of the crew waiting for me. So it's this magic experience that mm. I'll never forget that I'd always wanted and I got. So to have that finish. And- yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so it, for it to all come together, just as I had imagined it so many times, was is still so emotional and so, mm. so like, just it, it just signified so much to win to win this race signified so much to me more mm. than just getting the first place. So I got to experience that. That's amazing. And, yeah. So I am a lucky human because I got to see you cross the finish line, and what. I think for a long time is going to be remarkable to me is immediately without a thought you crossed the line and said we did it now you ran 240 kilometers mostly by yourself with intimacy and support from your fans basically but you still credited the whole crew and i think i include um having heard you speak about claudine i include claudine in this Mm. and your running coach martin but you said we did it and i feel like that really speaks to the human that you are, that you would give credit to all of those around you when you'd done the hard work. And before with the crew were even recruited, I guess, for want of a better word, you were doing the hard work and making that decision to go all in. How did that feel when you were, I guess, what were the emotions that were going through your mind when you were crossing the finish line and thanking people? Yeah, because it's, well, I think it's still overwhelming for me that that many people would want to come and help me. So when you talk about the connection mindset, I mean, I just realized I felt so connected to you all the whole time because you gave me so much energy and you gave me so much attention and mm. you were all so focused on the race. I never once felt like we weren't a unit. It always felt like from the moment you all said you were in, I just felt like a team and I knew each of you had your roles and I, I, so it, was never that, oh, now I'm going to give the crew some credit or Claudine some credit or Martin some credit or it's like the whole time it was mm. us and I had a role. So it's still really overwhelming for me to, to know that that many people mm. helped me realize a dream that I'd had for 12 years, 13 years. Wow. So, yeah, so it doesn't even enter my mind that it wasn't a we. <laughs> yeah. And I think as well it's worth calling out that your f- your whole family were there, your parents, your wife, your children, as well as your crew. And it was remarkable, I guess, to see the professionalism with which you conducted this race and controlled your body through ups and downs in nutrition, ups and downs in terrain. And at that moment, just feel, I guess, it all fall away. Mm. Yeah. It's really amazing. Yeah, it did fall, yeah, it did kind of fall away because I do remember that, that yell I gave at the end. <laughs> and that was that, that final kind of, um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it was, I still, I will remember every one of those moments so vividly. Um, but yeah, it's just to get back to it. Like I couldn't have done it without all of you. Like, and, and to, 
like if, if everybody gets this experience once in their life to, to go after a dream, but then have a group of people support you, like mm. that is just the greatest gift you could ever have. And so I just feel so lucky and I can't express that that's the, what I take the most away from this whole year is having a team of people come around me to help me mm. live my dream and, and achieve it. So. I think you've earned the friendship of those people as well, to be honest, Rob. <laughs> And we will come back to how excited they are for what's next. But um, just before we go on to, I guess, more of a broader reflection, is there anything else that you wanted to say about the race? I would do it all again, every step in the moment. Um, I, I couldn't have found any time. I, I, I can't do anything faster or better. So incidentally, we broke the race split record from Jindabyne to the finish from, from all time. So one of my crew was a data guy and he... Let me do that. So we seven hours, 18 minutes from Jindabyne at the finish. It's impressive. Um, it wasn't intentional, but it was a byproduct of all the stuff we'd done. Um, yeah, so I can't find any part of that race that I could, that we, I could have done better or we could have done better as a crew. Like you say you're all nervous, but <laughs> you did everything so flawlessly and, and for the first time you'd done it. And I'm, yeah, so it just seems like we all created magic mm. on that day. That I and I truly believe that. Yeah. I'm gonna bottle that, bottle some yeah. of that magic. <laughs> okay, so I'm just gonna go all the way back to the beginning of our chat, and you were talking about the upside of you committing to your race and it being a benefit to your family and not a detriment. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that, and I guess maybe the message that you're hoping that your children take away from the success yeah. that you've had through this year. Wow. So old Rob saw Rob training too much, Rob being away from family as being a cost of the family in the long term. So in the short term, it might be a cost. But going after something that's really dear to you teaches other people around you that they can go for things and also that they can achieve them if they're willing to do the work and get the support and, and stand on the shoulders of the giants who have been before you. So... The message I would love to give my kids would be go after your dreams without being cliche. Um, because when you start to go after something, things happen and people come along for the journey. But if you wait for them to come along for the journey, they won't come. Mm. So you've got to be the leader to say, this is where I'm going and who wants to come with me? And and I really got to, 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 to experience that this year, whereas maybe in the past I've waited for other people to come along. Yeah. It's actually really profound, I think, <laughs> that just later realisation, but it's amazing, actually. Okay, so you said you've raced this particular race a couple of times, and you've done a lot of races with a different mindset, let's say, before your work with Claudine, and that's not to say that your mindset wasn't strong, but it was different. What stands out as you compare this race to all the races before? I... Yeah, that's a good question as I compare them. I think I started this podcast because I knew how important mindset was. Mm. So I I always knew that there was that mindset area to explore and learn about for everybody. Um, so Claudine got me to create my mindset based on who I was. She didn't install hers or give yeah. me a, a recipe from someone else. And she coached me through it. So I, I was 
I was in the place where I was full of belief, full of confidence, no matter what my training had been, full of um, the, the belief that I was going to bring my highest and fullest potential. It came back to that. And there's nothing more... like So compare that to previous years where I was completely scared. Was I going to make it? Was I going to get an injury? Was I going to have problems? You know, and all of those what ifs dissolved. So this year was completely different because I'd created this mindset of it wasn't, it, it was, there was the intention to win, but it was the how behind that, which was I'm going to give all of me to this race. And that, and that was all of my personality, all of my love, all of my gratitude. I'm going to let it flow instead of holding it back, you know? And, and that's what you guys helped me. You, you gave me that environment to be grateful and to be fun and to be light and to have deep conversations on the run and to, you know, <laughs> you gave me that environment to explore that highest potential. And in the past, it had been a hostile environment of a long race of, of scary, fearful um, thing that I was stepping into. But this year I, I, I dropped all that and I, I went for it from, from that perspective. That's amazing. Oh, that's so cool. So this, I guess, when I hear about you talking about this race, I can appreciate through the, I guess, the language that you use to describe it, how this has been the experience um, that the race of one's life ought to be. Um, and that's really, I think, I think that's really remarkable. And I know that you've said you couldn't have shaved any time off and you thought your career were perfect, we weren't, but I'm glad that you thought that. But with all that, what are you going to take from this? What are you, what are you going to do next? What now? What, is, what happens with this learning for, the, for your future as a runner? So, I, um, so the best advice I got was to just chill for a couple of weeks after the race because there's always that you know, period afterwards of either what's next or what should I do, blah, blah, blah. So I did that and, and I've long been inspired by people like Pat Farmer, the Martin Fryer, my coach, um, and recently Ned Brockman who ran across Australia. Um, but this Paul Every once did a race called the Trans Australia Race that went from Perth to Canberra, who they extended to Twofold Bay, where Costa Cozzi finished. It's long been an impossible dream of mine to run across the country. So, having just got, gone through the experience of my life, where I did something that I never thought I could do, it seems like it's just I'm in this place now where I'm. I know that I. I, I understood how I can tap into my potential and actually express it. So with that, I'm going to run across the country. I'm going to do it with a crew and we are going to run the record, which is 38 days. Well, currently 38 days, 12 hours and 53 minutes reset by Patrick Melandian from, from France, who I've recently been in contact with. And uh, a lot of my amazing support crew have already committed to some, to being part of it in some way. So to think about doing a race again or another next challenge, there's nothing that means more to me or that I want to go after than, than this. And this is the next level. And um, 
I'm ready to go after that. How does it feel to say that? I guess, what might it have felt like to say that a year ago before you'd gone through this experience and this transformation in mindset? How does it feel to say it now? So amazing you ask that. I, there is no way, even if, so I would have, I've had this dream for a long time, but I would never have told anybody. I would never have shared it. I certainly would never have said it to you or a <laughs> podcast, but uh, it feels, because like I said to you, I realized that when you go after something, it's, it's better for everybody. And that's, that's cool. And, he, and you know, maybe the, the message I love to say is, you know, um, if each of us just ran a little bit, <laughs> or if, you know, we, we would all you know, improve your life and your family life. But yeah, I would never have said it out loud. But I understand, and that doesn't mean by any means that it's a given, any means that, it, you know, it's easy, it's, it's huge, and maybe it won't happen. Like, maybe I won't, but it doesn't matter because I now know how to create the mindset to make it happen. And I now know how to release myself from the fears and the caged potential and all that kind of stuff because Claudine's taught me how to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, to not go after it now feels worse to keep it wow. inside yeah it's yeah, amazing yeah. oh just thinking about you talking earlier about you saw your heart rate on your watch through your race go over where it would normally have been and you just being okay with it because you had this full commitment to no matter what you were going to give this your best race and i think about that at a much 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 lower scale even looking at my watch on a 5k run thinking oh i've gone out too quick this is not something that I can sustain. Um, I'm not one to run to my heart rate, but I, I think that on a small scale, I relate to this feeling of, this brave feeling of, I put everything in that's required to get you know, the dream out of it, which is pretty amazing. Wow, oh my goodness. Okay, so I have one more question about racing um, before I go to close this amazing conversation. Um, and you did say that you, you couldn't have changed anything on Costa Cozzi, but you also said you've explored this concept of expressing your highest potential. So through that exploration, is there anything that you change when you're going into the next challenge or when you're facing challenges in the future? Yeah, to be more of myself. So I would also put a cap on my personality. So, um, and, and, and in, so an example would be, I'm, I think I'm a very grateful person. So I, I love yeah. telling people, and sometimes I don't tell them because I don't want to embarrass them or you know, tell them how grateful I am for it. But through that race, I, I, would just, I felt like I was able to express to everybody because I felt safe mm, to, wow. to, to be me. And that was a container of safety that you'd given me as a crew. But it was also that I went first. And I, and I was... So that's kind of what I've learned is to, to bring your fullest self is to bring all of yourself and and... And that includes all of your talents, all of your skills, all your gifts, all of my gifts that I've maybe not expressed fully in the past. So um, was that the question? I think. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, so. yeah, that's really good. I think that I'm seeing a little bit of, you didn't use the word, but maybe vulnerability when you said I went first. Yeah. Yeah, I've always been scared to go first in the past because of what has happened in the past. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's definitely vulner- vulnerability. And I think you, you kind of touched on it earlier, but when... Hannah said at the top of 
Kosciuszko that it meant so much for her to be with you. She'd actually said multiple times through the race, and this is Hannah Best in our crew, not Hannah, your daughter. Yeah. She said, it's so easy to give something to Rob because he gives so much back. And I guess for those listening, she'd hand him a coffee, this disgusting syrupy, sugary coffee, half a coffee in a cup. And he would just say back, thank you, thank you so much. And I was thinking, I can't imagine being grateful for this <laughs> lukewarm syrupy coffee. But um, that's, it's definitely infectious. People around you can see it and feel it and benefit from it. And they've definitely been inspired. And hopefully we can do another podcast about all the crazy things that your friends and crew members have signed up to as a result of seeing you do this. <laughs> but maybe for another time. Okay. You got an opportunity when you received the champions medal when you um, completed Costa Cozzi and you thanked almost everyone. <laughs> um, but I appreciate that you were fatigued and you had the race still in your legs. Yeah. Um, I want to give you another opportunity now after you've had the time to reflect on your race and I guess speak to your, your friends and crew members to give a, a different a, approach maybe on thanking some of the people that have been with you through the race and your preparation also um, at the race itself. Wow. Yeah, that's unprepared. That speech that I <laughs> that I gave what well, was on yeah, little sleep and tired legs and I wish that I could have done it all again. It was beautiful. The first place, the first <laughs> person I forgot to thank was my wife, who in September this year I said, Can you take over all of the kids' logistics, do as much of the pickup drop off so that I can train my heart out for this race? And she said, Absolutely. So without that support I never would have got those doubles in. I never would have got the mileage, never would have got to the physio, never would have got to the masses, never would have got to the Cairo. So she just took all of that that we normally share, not, not even meaning to share, we just naturally share. And she said, of course I'll support you this. So calms you, absolutely. And then you were there with, you brought the kids with me to the race. They were climbing a big dead tree. You know, they were there you know, cheering me on. So that meant, gives you so much for the race. So, and that's so hard with a, you know, a five, year old uh, to try and, and an eight year old so she absolutely just helped me in so many ways in therapy in i can't do this and then helping me so calms did so much for me um gave up a lot as well so thanks my love um claudine i didn't thank claudine for all the work she'd done and i think that's because i kept her as my secret weapon so i never mentioned her to anybody and i'd kept all our sessions secret and i'd only spoken to carmel about her so I think I had this mindset of, this is my secret weapon, I'm not gonna mention this to anyone. So when I, when I got to thank everybody who helped me, sorry, Claudine, <laughs> but hopefully, you know, I can make it up to you in some other ways. We're um, gonna make it up to you, Claudine. We're gonna add your contact details into the oh, awesome. notes for this podcast as well. And if anybody is, um, you know, looking to take, to do, to work with somebody exceptional, I can't recommend her, absolutely. I, the, only reason, I, the only reason I hesitate to, um, to recommend Claudine is that she might get too inundated with work and stop working with me because she's got too much. Please don't do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, um, my crew, I think, did I thank all my crew enough? Uh, my mum and dad who were there for me for so many years and then mm. came down to spectate. I think, you know, Mickey and Greg for, for the race director and how much work he must put in. All the volunteers who were there to make this race happen who won't, won't go ahead. Paul and Diane for having this race for so many years and just making it the most humble, grateful, amazing bunch of people who every year you go down there and meet new friends and everyone comes away saying that was the most amazing event. So mm. have I forgotten anyone? Did I forget anyone, Bex? I don't think so. Okay. I think that was perfect. Okay, thanks for giving me the opportunity. <laughs> so a lot in a lot of your podcasts, you do 
a little bit of research or maybe something you've picked up through your own mindset work and you share it with your listeners, um, something for them to take away. And you've achieved this really remarkable thing through winning Costa Cozzi this year in 2022. What's the thing that you want to leave your listeners with as a result of this experience? So there's a few things. Don't try and do everything on your own. You need a team. And in that team, so first step, I never realized, I knew mindset was important, but I didn't realize how much importance it was until I'd met Claudine and I learned to think like a champion. So do triple the amount of mindset work that you're currently doing and do it with somebody you can work with because you mm. can't do it on your own. I learned more through that podcast, I think, than anybody who listened to it because I've researched and everything. But working one-on-one with somebody is next level um, and they'll get a good skilled coach will get to what you actually need. Build a quality team around you um, and shower them in. You Just look after them because they're going to look after you. But go after something bigger than you think you can go after. Build a team and build your mindset because that's the thing that's going to get you through when physical or yeah. logical person jumps in. Yeah, that's amazing. Big scary dream, triple your mindset work. One-on-one work with a coach that you trust and I guess you might not find that person first time so um, and surrounding yourself with a team that can help sharing the load, that's amazing. I'd always resisted asking for help and so this is really a huge lesson for me. So That's amazing. Wow, Rob, thank, thank you. you so much for allowing me to interview you today. <laughs> what an amazing interviewer you are. This has been so awesome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mindset for Runners podcast. I hope you got something useful and practical out of this episode. If you have a question around the mindset of runners or athletes in general, please email me athlete.mindset.training at gmail.com and I'll answer your question on an upcoming podcast. And if there's anyone you know who could benefit from the information I share in these podcasts, please share it with them. See you next time.